are actually in week two uh, of Romans. Uh, and I love Romans, particularly right now, uh, with, unless you've been living under a rock, there's some stuff happening in our world, isn't there? So much so that it narrows down to, yes, our country, to our city, and for some of us, our own neighborhoods, for some of us, our own families, for some of us, the people that we live with, uh, and it creates perhaps tension or heartache or despair uh, or, or division or, or whatever it is. And so I don't know what God had in plan, but it felt like uh, the series that we're on uh, is so relevant and applicable to kind of what we are going through today as a church, as a people, as a family. Uh, and I am happy to tell you that this morning, uh, that part of, the, hey, this is my hope, but part of what will happen this morning is I'll probably end this sermon uh, not just tick one side off or the other side off, but everybody. And, and so I know that if I've made you upset, then I've done my job. Uh, especially if I've made everybody upset, then I've done my job. And so uh, we will continue in Romans chapter 2. Uh, verse 1 through 3 is what we'll start off with, and then we'll continue unpacking the rest of the chapter. Uh, and so the word of the Lord says this, Therefore you have no excuse, whoever you are, whoever you are, you have no excuse when you judge others. For in passing judgment on another, you condemn yourself. Because you, the judge, are doing the very same thing. Verse 2, you say, we know that God's judgment on those who do such things is in accordance with truth. Uh, do you imagine, whoever you are, that when you judge those who do such things and yet do them yourself, you will escape the judgment of God? Let's pray. God, thank you so much that we get to just wrestle with your word, that we don't just want to read it for the sake of reading it, but we want to learn and unpack it uh, and, and take this knowledge and turn it into wisdom. And what we mean by that is what we learn and what we, what we read, what we wrestle with together, that it would actually change our lives. And, and when your word and your love changes our lives, our lives begin to matter and to shape the lives of others towards truth, towards transformation, towards hope, towards joy, towards unity. And we thank you for the ways that you have loved us, and we thank you for the ways you forgive us. And God, may we always be a church, always, always, always be a church that isn't just about ourselves, uh, but about others. And God, so we do right now pray for our country, the leadership. We pray for the division. God, we pray for all over, the people all over the world, even in Indonesia that is uh, still recovering from massive hundreds of deaths due to an earth earthquake and, and a typhoon that many of us may not even heard of. And so God, help us to remember, remember, remember. In your name we pray. Amen. Uh, so growing up, and I've made this confession before, and sometimes it brings me much shame, especially in a community like this, but growing up, uh, I wasn't always a fan of the great outdoors, right? And I know that's not a, a very Pacific North, Northwest thing to confess, 
I know, uh, furthermore, it's not much of a Bethany thing to confess, because I know a lot of you guys out there, and Bethany as, as a whole, all six locations, something about the outdoors is so special and so sacred, and, and I get it now, uh, but I will say this, uh, not just prior to coming to Bethany, but just growing up, I didn't really enjoy the outdoors. Now, uh, I didn't find it very enjoyable, or when I think about what I wanted to do during the weekend, I, my first thought wasn't, man, I want to carry a big, heavy backpack and go up a huge hill, and then I'm going to turn around and walk back down. Like, that's what, like, I never thought about that. You know what I want to do this weekend? I don't want to sleep in my comfortable bed. I want to sleep outside in a, in a tent on the hard dirt floor. Like that, to me, that wasn't very profound, you know? Or you know what I want to do? I want to replace my shower with no shower. I want to replace my delicious food with dehydrated food. I want to be t- Like, none of that was very appealing to me as a family, especially growing up. We never did that. As a matter of fact, and I hope none of you guys are offended by this, uh, but it was one of those things my family chalked up to. Look, friends, that's what white families do. White families go hiking and back. We don't do that. And so for the most part, I believed her. And I said, okay, well, I guess that isn't uh, something that I do or that we do. And, and so it actually wasn't until many years later, until I was in graduate school and seminary, where I was paired up with a roommate, uh, not of our choice, but a roommate uh, from Wisconsin. Anybody from the North uh, Midwest? In the house, yes, many, many of you. Uh, and so I was paired up, uh, not by choice, with this Midwestern person uh, who uh, loved the outdoors, who loved to hike, who loved uh, backpacking and, and camping and, and all those things. And, I, and I'm not making this up. Uh, he's done so much stuff. He's summited Mount Rainier. He's climbed Mount Everest, Kilimanjaro. You name it, he's climbed it. And when we got paired up, not by our choice, again, I chalked it up to, okay, we have nothing in common except for that we're going to live together and pursue this degree. But, but that's about it. Uh, we're going to be civil. Uh, we're obviously not going to be rude or, or hurt each other. We're just going to live together and kind of do our own thing. But I feel like God had different plans in, in bringing us together. Because as we got to know each other, we developed a friendship. We got to know one another. I got to learn about uh, Midwestern life. I learned about my first time learning about cornhole. Anybody enjoy cornhole? Uh, I learned that UW also stands for University of Wisconsin, which I probably, as a Kook fan, I prefer that. Yeah, I know, right? Okay, I love you guys, all of you, even Huskies. We stayed up late uh, with a group of friends uh, playing a card game called Euchre. Anybody? Okay. Uh, my friend would make these snacks, especially when we went hiking, called puppy chow. Because uh, I've always thought puppy chow was dog food, but apparently it's something that Midwesterners eat. And so, hey, it was delicious. And the best part of that is uh, he would take me on short little hikes uh, and even short little backpacking trips where I've actually experienced for the first time the nature and the way that God works and the way that God speaks. And I would say 
uh, that had I stayed away from this roommate, had I stayed away from uh, what he wanted to do and the things that he appreciated, I would have never experienced all those things that I listed, especially now this profound love I actually do have for the outdoors. This way that I get to see God work and God's creation and through that, through walking up a big hill, through walking down a big hill, through carrying a big pack, through seeing the sun, through in the mountains and all those things, I actually have a closeness that, I've ex- that I experience with God, the creator. And I look back and I say, man, I would have missed out on so much had I just chalked it up to here's where I sleep, here's where you sleep, you do your own thing and I do my own thing. We continued our friendship uh, in powerful ways. Well, I was going through a really hard time a few years ago, and he flew over. Uh, now he lives in North Carolina. Flew over from North Carolina just to be with me for a week or two. I flew over there to be with him during his tough times. I mean, our friendship has become incredible. And I say, man, I look back, what would I have missed out on had I just written him off? How often do you write people off? How often do you judge others because they are different than you? How often do we literally draw this line in the sand and say, because you're different, I'm over here and you're over there. And you name it. Oh, you're a different race? You're over here? Then I'm over here. Oh, you, you voted for him? Oh, you voted for her? Oh, then you're on this side of the line. And I'm over here. Oh, you make this much money, then you're going to be over here, and I'm going to be over here. We create this dividing line. Oh, your job title is this. Your economic level is this. You're over here. I'm over here. Oh, you believe in these things about your faith. And and this is going to be really nerdy, but you believe in uh, open theism. You believe in Calvinism. You believe in Arminianism. You know, for those of you that don't know what it is, that's okay. But oftentimes, even Christians, we say, okay, you believe in God differently, then you stand over here, then I stand over here. Oh, politics. Uh, uh, Oh, you believe this about sexuality. You believe this about uh, homelessness. You believe this about guns. You believe this about abortion. Okay, you stand over here, and I will stand over here, and we create this dividing line. And, And I would say, I have some bad news for you. And I love what Romans, especially Romans chapter 2, is about. The bad news is this. You all have it wrong. You on this side of the aisle, you on this side of the aisle, you in the pulpit, you over there, you over there. Guess what? I have bad news for you. There's no good guy. All of you have missed the point. And I love Romans 2 and how Paul addresses that. Let me give you a little bit of context of what's happening, especially in the broader Romans. If you were here last week, we talked a little bit about it. Uh, But as a reminder, uh, in 41 A.D., through 53 AD, this is, just, this is in your history books, not just the Bible, but Emperor Claudius expels the Jewish Christians from Rome, which we call the Jewish diaspora. Yep. Uh, which, thank you. Our tech team, everybody, they're so amazing. Can we give them a round of applause? Uh, I do this a lot. Side note, I'm going to step over here, because without them, we wouldn't be able to see this. We won't be able to sing. Uh, and the only time they get recognition is when, they, when something happens, all the heads turn around. And so thank you for all that you do. All right, Romans. 
uh, 41 through 53, uh, the Roman Empire, they had something against, and this is for centuries and centuries, had this hatred and animosity towards Jews, especially during this time, Jewish Christians. And uh, other Jewish and non-biblical historians could affirm uh, what had happened in Rome is that the Roman Emperor Claudius expels Jewish Christians, uh, and we call that the, one of many, the Jewish diasporas, uh, literally diaspora meaning the spreading out. So essentially Claudius was saying, okay, Jewish Christians, uh, you can go wherever you want, you just can't stay here. And so they all scattered to different parts of the world, the known world. Uh, and, and we know that it was the Jewish Christians because the historians would say that uh, the disturbance that the Jewish Christians caused was really speaking about Jesus and how Jesus was the true and only Lord. And if you understand Roman first century, uh, to the Romans, the only Lord that they knew and understood and worshipped was Caesar. And so these Jewish Christians would come in and they would give a very antithetical message saying, you know what, Caesar is actually not Lord. It's actually Jesus. And so, like what most kings and, and emperors would do, it says, okay, well, out with you. You, you got to leave. Uh, and so that's what happened. Now, uh, so Jewish Christians teaching about Jesus. Uh, and, and actually, in Acts chapter... 17, Acts chapter 18, I think it's verse 1, uh, where uh, Priscilla and Aquinas, they come to Paul in, in, in Corinth, and Paul says, Why, what are you doing here? Why are you here? Uh, and then they said, oh, we got kicked out of Rome because of the way we've been preaching about Jesus. Uh, in 54 AD, Claudius dies. And so once Claudius, the emperor, dies, all the Jews, uh, the Christian Jews, came back to, to Rome. And so there was about a decade or so uh, while there was a diaspora. Now, here's where the conflict begins. And, 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 well, here's where the conflict arises uh, in a much higher level. And this is what really chapter 2 is about, is that there's a conflict between Jewish Christians that are returning from the diaspora after being away from different parts of the world for 10, 12, 15 years, or whatever it is, comes back and awaiting them are the Gentile Christians, the ones, the Gentiles, those that aren't Jewish, they didn't get expelled. And and so uh, for all their intended purposes, the Gentile Christians just live their normal life in Rome. They just live life even without the Jewish Christians around, and and for them, life went on. Uh, And about a decade later, uh, these Jewish Christians who have learned and developed different cultures and and different ideas and different ways of of understanding and knowing and worshiping God comes, and there's like this cultural, there's this cultural religious collision that is happening in Rome. This was big. And so meanwhile, the Gentile Christians remained in Rome and continued to develop their own way of life uh, and faith from other influences. Uh, Rome even had their own from their Hellenistic culture. Uh, Do you see what the problem might be here? Here are these Gentile Christians who, for them, life went on. This is the way we have always worshipped God. This is the way we view life. This is the way we think is the right way and the proper way uh, to grow and develop our faith. And and then all of a sudden, these Jewish Christians return from the diaspora and says, well, you know what? While I was in Corinth, while I was over here, while I was over there, I learned something different. 
Well, it may not look like the way you are worshiping God, but here's the way I have developed this worship for God. My fervor, my religious traditions. And oftentimes it looked very differently. And so therefore, there was this huge division between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians because of the return. And that is exactly what Paul is speaking to. And what he's saying is to these two groups, to these major groups, is saying, hey, stop right there. Stop bickering with one another. Stop fighting because guess what? There's no good guy. You guys have all missed the mark. I mean, you, but you can understand the frustration between the two groups. I mean, I remember, again, uh, when I did go to seminary, I, I lived in L. I'm from Seattle, okay? So I am a true Pacific Northwestern person, even though I didn't always love the outdoors. I'm from Seattle. Uh, but I moved to L.A. for grad school, and I was there for about 10 years. But before I went to uh, Los Angeles, I have to tell you know, just a little bit about myself. I grew up in the church. Uh, and not only just any other church, and I've had this conversation with many of you uh, in, the, in the seats right now, is I grew up in a very uh, Southern Baptist church in Seattle, okay? Uh, which, for those of you that don't know, this denomination of Southern Baptists is very conservative. At least I can speak on my own behalf. It's a very conservative understanding of the Bible, a very rigid, a very legalistic way uh, of living out our faith. And so then I moved to L.A. where I went to seminary and I started learning all these new things, things that I've never heard of before regarding God and worship and the church and people. And not only was I learning these things while I was in graduate school, but I was meeting people. I mean, you think uh, going downtown is great for people watching. You should go downtown Los Angeles. Uh, It's like what we see on steroids. It's pretty amazing, actually. Because it gave me the opportunity to meet different people from all walks of life, all different religions, all different professions of uh, of whatever. And and after about 10 years or so, I moved back to Seattle. And and I almost feel kind of what the tension is going on here because I even go to my family and I'm like, oh, you you still believe that? And and they're like, yeah, you don't? And so because I had this opportunity, not to say I was the enlightened one, but I had this opportunity to meet people, different people, to learn things and to, and to bit kind of break down and what we call deconstruct our faith and have an opportunity to actually reconstruct it as well. And so I would come back and I would say, Mom, Dad, you, wow, you, you still believe that? Oh, oh, you, you eat that? Oh, you, you don't care about animals? Uh, oh, because, you know, like down there, it's like everyone is like an advocate, and, which is great. Uh, oh, you don't recycle? Oh, you don't compost? Oh, man, you're not a very good Christian. Because there's these things that we never did. I learn about it in L.A., and I come back, and I'm like, oh, uh, oh, really? You, you, still, you still do that? And, and actually, the other day, someone actually sent me this. Where has the world gone when I include a meme in a sermon? <laughs> it it kind of reminded me of this. When you watch a Netflix documentary... And tell your coworkers about it the next day. Don't we do this? Like you watch a documentary and all of a sudden you're super enlightened and you go to work next day and you're like, guys, let me tell you something. Okay, what we're doing is not good. Uh, and, and I swear, I, I felt like this when I went to L.A. and I came back and I was like, family, look. But what happens is, and I'll, I'll get to this, is that we, we create this line and say, well, now all of a sudden 
you're over here, and I'm over here. And what I love about what Paul is saying is, guess what? You have it all wrong. And that's bad news. And I have some more bad news for us. First is that you got it all wrong. And I love just that very first verse. Therefore, you have no excuse, whoever you are, when you judge others. Have you judged somebody? Even ironically about the way they believe in God and live out their faith. Oh, man, the way you worship God is so wrong. You don't do it. You don't actually love God. And what, what, the, what the word is saying, what Paul is saying is, wait, time out. Look what's happening right here. In your accusation uh, of accusing this person of loving God wrong and, and therefore sinning, missing the mark, <laughs> you're actually the one sinning. You are actually the one missing the mark. You are actually the one that has it all wrong. And, and so... Maybe, yes, this person has it wrong too, but hey, not so fast. You're not off the hook. In your judgment, whoever you are, when you judge others uh, for in passing judgment on others, you actually condemn yourself because you, the judge, are doing the same thing. And this is the starting point. This is where reconciliation begins to happen. And this isn't in a self-deprecating and self-hatred way, but it's understanding, well, wait a minute. This whole time, I thought I was right. I thought I was right about what I believed about God. I thought I was right about what I believed in my politics. I thought I was right about what I believed uh, against my own family member, against my own coworker, against my own neighbors. Well, wait a minute. I'm the one that's right, and that's the person who is wrong. We become the judge. And, and the message here is, well, wait a minute. What if you actually humbly understood that though this person, this group, whatever, might be wrong, but so are you. But so am I. Man, relationships would look so differently, wouldn't it? And this is Paul's message. I need Paul's desires to reconcile these two groups, uh, Gentile Christians, Jewish Christians, to worship just one God. And so who have you judged? And I love this starting point. Yes, it's bad news. But there's something that springs life from understanding, well, wait a minute. What if I'm also the one that is wrong? And the news gets worse because the second bad news is this. We all have it wrong, but you also need one another to get it right. And here's, let me unpack that for a second. Not only do we need one another to get it right, but we need others that actually think differently than us. That actually even are uh, maybe even different dare I say this, in this church, different religion than us, lives out their faith differently than us, views the world differently than us, not just we have it wrong, but in order for us to get it right, we have to love and be connected with others, including the very people that you are judging. Man, that's hard. And I'll be the first one to admit that it, that is difficult. And so what, the, what, what Paul is saying is, and even when I'm looking through this, I'm like, well, wait a minute, wait a minute, Paul. Let me see what you're saying. You're saying the very person that I'm judging, 
the very person that I have created this dividing line, the one that I think where I'm right and that person's wrong, what you're saying is not only do I have it wrong, but I actually need that person to get it right? So, so what you're telling me, Paul, is this person that I completely disagree with, I have to actually be in a relationship with this person? No. You, you, need, you need me to get out of my comfort zone? You need me to, to lead this homogenous group that I always hang out with, that, that, that believe in the same thing as me, that look like me, that eat the same foods as me, that even speak the same language? You're telling me I need to lead this group because if I don't, I'm going to be missing out on something. See, see, the news gets worse and worse right now is that, A, you're wrong, I'm wrong, and B, in order to get it right, to, to truly reflect what God has for us in our life, we actually have to reach out to the very person that I actually want to judge. And so Paul is saying, hey, Jewish Christians, you actually need the Gentile Christians. Hey, Gentile Christians, you actually need the Roman You guys need to work together, live together, be in harmony together in order to reflect and bear the true image of the creator, the one that who created all of you equally. What? That's, that's bad news. And I love, as we continue in chapter 2, the, the, uh, the message version, okay? For some of you, uh, actually, myself included, I used to say, the message, that's not the real Bible. I want the real Bible. Well, the message is also the real Bible, okay? So for those of you thinking that, get over it. Let's read this. And I love you guys. When outsiders, this is chapter 2, verse 14 through 16, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, they confirm its truth by their obedience. So, so what, what Paul is saying is there's these people who don't, the Gentile Christians, who didn't grow up with the Torah. So the Jewish Christians are like, I have it right because I grew up with the Torah. I grew up, you know, from this Jewish culture, from learning about God. And the, and the Gentile Christians, uh, they didn't have that. They're actually, many of them are recent converts. Uh, and so what Paul's saying, when outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, so that's our consciousness, uh, many would argue that there's this idea of, of and I don't want to get too nerdy right now, but general revelation, uh, universal grace, uh, which means that no matter who you are, no matter what you believe, we've all as humans have been implanted with this idea of, of, of what's good, of what's evil, of what's great, of what's compassionate. Like we've all been birth with that. And now that's kind of a general statement, but that is an, uh, a theological perspective that uh, when, when, as you grow up and as you learn life, you know stealing is wrong. How do you know that? You don't have to be a Christian to know that stealing is wrong. You don't have to even believe in a God to believe that murdering is wrong. Like, we know these things. We call this, Christians, general revelation or universal grace. So, here we go. When outsiders who have never heard of God's law follow it more or less by instinct, general grace, uh, they confirm its truth by their obedience. They show that God's law is not something alien imposed on us from without, but woven into the very fabric of our creation. There is something deep within them that echoes God's yes and no, right and wrong. And, and so especially, this is kind of a harsh statement towards the Jews. Sometimes Paul is a little bit more harsh on the, the Jews because he himself is Jewish. And, and so what he's saying is here is, hey, Jewish Christians who think you have it all figured out, 
because you grew up with the law, because you grew up uh, going to the synagogues multiple times a week, because you have had, had priests and you have had elders and, and rabbis to teach you and to pray over you and to guide you, you think you have it all figured out, but guess what? These outsiders you claim, these Gentile Christians also kind of know what they're talking about too. They may not have grown up with that, uh, the Torah, they may not have grown up with the rabbis guiding them, but they did grow up with what Paul would say, God's general, uh, uh, general revelation. The general re- revelation that's been woven into the very fabric of our creation. That they have gone to know God uh, through their connection with God, maybe not through the Torah, uh, but through their consciousness, through what they've seen, through nature, through community, through their own life experience as Gentiles. And, and so what Paul is saying, hey, guess what? Both of you are created in the image of God. And, and so if you ignore the half of the image of God, you are going to ignore half of how God created you and me in this world. And so what God is saying through Romans is, hey, there's something you can actually learn from the Gentiles, even though they didn't grow up like you, even though they didn't learn the way that you did, even though they didn't even have the Torah. In other words, the Bible, you didn't have the Bible, and yet they know God through the ways that they live their life, the way that they're uh, obedient and apply the truth to their lives. Hey, Jewish Christians, this is going to be hard for you to hear, you can learn something from them. And for some of us, that is so hard to hear. I can learn something from somebody that's so different. And for some of us, we create this, uh, we, we break this line of equity and we say, well, I'm on this level of superiority and then this group is inferior. And, and though many of us wouldn't say that out loud, those of us, uh, most of us would never use those words, but, but that's, oftentimes that's a mentality that we have, that we live with. And what God is saying through Romans is, well, guess what? You might be able to learn. And in fact, you need to learn something from people that are different from you. Because I, because here's the thing. Here's how we miss out. I have given these experiences to these Gentile Christians only for them. But I want them to share that with others so then that person could also see how God is working in their lives. But if we act like Jewish Christians and say, well, you know what, I don't want that, then we are missing out on what God has uniquely given to them in order to bless others. And the other side is true. The way that God has created you, the experiences that you've had, good or for bad, uh, what you look like, what you've eaten, what language you've spoken, whatever it is, whatever experience in life that God has given you, if you don't share that with others, then that person is also missing out on wholeness because you have hoarded that. Not just hoarded that for yourself, but kept it in this echo chamber where everyone else has already had the same experience. So there's a disconnect. There's a missing. We need one another. We need our experiences. We even need our differences to grow, not only in our faith, but as God's creation in our humanity. See, finding commonalities, and I love this, uh, finding commonalities may bring you more fun. 
but finding differences will bring you more wholeness. In other words, finding people that have the th- same things in common with you, that's, yeah, that's fun, right? You get to hang out, you have enjoyment, you have things that you agree on, you have this huge echo chamber, like, yeah, we're, you know, they're so, like, that's fun, that could be fun. But what's really going to bring you wholeness in this understanding of really, in really, uh, of who, a true understanding of who God is, it's not just going to be through that echo chamber, it's going to be through differences where we can learn from one another, where we can see in God, see in people the way that God has worked in their lives, shaped them in ways that God may have not done for us. And so we learn and we grow and we see one another for that beauty. And the last bad news here is this. Without each other, you, myself included, we receive judgment. Well, let me just talk about this just for a quick second. Uh, It says this. Romans chapter 2, verse 12, it says, All who have sinned apart from the law will also perish apart from the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who is righteous in God's sight, but the doers of the law who will be justified. Paul doesn't ignore this idea of, of, of being, God being just, uh, of, uh, of judgment. And what I want to say about judgment is this. When we think about judgment in God's wrath, uh, we think lightning bolts, right? Like, oh, man, if you don't obey God, God is going to zap you. Or God's going to create something bad <coughs> in your life. And, and I don't know if I truly believe that is the understanding of, of a biblical idea of judgment. I truly believe judgment, to receive judgment, the, the wrath, is, is merely, not merely, but hugely, I almost said bigly, hugely the absence of God. Judgment is, is, is simply the absence of God. And this is where I got, I got it from C.S. Lewis. C.S. Lewis says, judgment or hell or wrath, what that is is just the absence of God that you have already asked for. The prodigal son is a great example where the son is like, hey, I want to leave. I have all these riches. You want to bless. I want to leave. And the father says, it pains me, but yes, okay, you can leave. And in Romans 1, it says, God gave them up to their lust. God gave them up to their own passions. You want to live a life that is painful? Where you, where you miss out on, on learning more about me? Okay. You can do that. And so in other words, when we create a divide, the judgment on us is the absence of God. The very thing that we bring upon ourselves is that we miss out on knowing God. We have this absence of God, which is what I define as judgment, when we fail to experience the lives and the stories of others. God says to us, you want to keep creating this divide with others? Fine. You can do that. But guess what? If you do that, you're going to be missing out. But you want to continue creating this this division or this us versus them? You want to continue uh, putting yourself in this echo chamber, in this homogenous group, and and ignore the people that might be able to offer you something? Fine. You can do that. Do it. Live life that way. But you will experience judgment. You will experience the absence of God because God is found in 
in those places. This is really important as we, as we land this. I want you to know this. we will be missing out on God and what God has for us, i.e. judgment, when we fail to embrace the other. God says to, to all of us, you're going to be missing out. The person that bears my image, God says, this person bears my image. That person bears my image. You want to ignore them? Fine. But you're not going to get the wholeness that you that I want for you. Oh, you want to keep ignoring the Republican, the Democrat? Fine, but that person bears my image and you'll be missing out. Oh, you want to ignore and create that divided line with a person that has a, has a different political perspective than you? Fine, you can do that. But that person also bears my image and you'll be missing out. Yeah, you want to create that dividing line with the person that thinks differently than you on sexuality, on guns, on abortion, uh, on all. Fine, you can do that. You can create that line. But guess what? That person's human too. That person has a different story than you. You're going to be missing out. What about family members that you disagree with? What about coworkers that you disagree with? Fine, God says. You can continue ignoring them. You can continue judging them. But really, it's your loss. Because in that person, in that person, in that person, you will find me. And if you don't find me, that's judgment. There will be judgment. There will be an absence of me. And you will not experience the wholeness that I want for you, the true shalom. And so I'm going to ask the, the worship team to come back up. And I want to land and and end with this. Though we have bad news all over the place, that we have it wrong, that we need the person, the very person that we want to judge in order to get it right, though if we ignore that, then we receive judgment, the absence of God, guess what? The good news is Christ wants us to be pointed to him. And Jesus invites us to enter into a relationship with him in order for us to be in relationship with him. With others. Don't look to politicians on what it looks like to get it right. Don't even look to the pastor. Don't even look into the people at your church. Look at Christ to see what it looks like to actually get it right. There's a story in Matthew chapter 18. And let me just sum it up for you. I won't read the Bible verse for you. Let me just sum it up for you. There's this rich, oh, there's this person who's in debt. Uh, to this master uh, in equivalent to maybe a hundred thousand dollars and this person it says in the bible goes up to the master and says master i don't have a hundred thousand dollars to pay you back with and you have to understand during those times if you can't pay somebody back then you become a slave not just that person but the children and the wife the whole family becomes slave to pay off the debt and so the guy that owed this master $100,000 says, hey, I don't have it. Have pity on me. And this master says, okay, I will have pity on you. You can go free. You will not be my slave. As a matter of fact, I will erase $100,000 of your debt. You owe me nothing. Now go. And the story continues and says, that very guy that was uh, forgiven $100,000 of debt Another person approaches him uh, and says, 
Sir, I owe you $10, not $100,000. I owe you $10. Please forgive me. I mean, this guy couldn't even pay him $10. And if we had to guess, my guess would be that this person would say, well, I was just forgiven $100,000. So then, of course, I'm going to forgive $10. That's easy. But the reality is the story continues and says, this guy who was just forgiven $100,000 goes to that person and says, no, I will not forgive you of your $10. Pay me right now. And if you can't, you're going to be my slave. And that's what happened. That's and I look at that story and I say, the good news is, let's look at the good news. The good news is that Christ has forgiven us. Christ has loved us even when we have it wrong. Christ has died for us though we were sinners, though we were imperfect. And we are gonna, we're going to experience the communion as we take Christ's body and drink Christ's blood to represent to identify with Christ that we've died and we've rose again with Christ, walking a new life with him because Christ has loved us, died for us, will continue to love us no matter what. And oftentimes what we do is we say, even though I've made a mistake and God has forgiven me, even though I may be different, even though I may act differently, God will still love me. And God says, take that love and love others, no matter what they do, no matter what they look like, no matter what they believe. And what we do, like this person, we say no. We say no. Even though we received $100,000 worth of love, even more from God, we go to the person that and we want to judge them and say, no. And if I could swear, I would do it right now. What kind of stuff is that? The good news is that Christ has died for you though we were sinners. Will you, and this is, a, this is a commission, this is an encouragement and a challenge to all of us, including myself, will you take that $100,000 of love that God has imparted on us through his life, death, and resurrection, and will you go to that person who might be different than you and say, guess what? I love you in the same way. I have, listen to this, I have something to learn from you. This is hard. I don't even know if I can do it. God, will you help me do it? My challenge, maybe this is a practical challenge. In your family, do you have someone that you despise? In your workplace, in your clubs, in your schools, do you have someone that you don't like, that you have a hard time forgiving? Do you have someone that you believe is doing it wrong, whatever that means? Do you have somebody that lives a different lifestyle than you? Do you have someone in your life that voted differently than you? Do you have someone in your life that has a different status than you by society? Will you take them out to lunch? Coffee? Will you invite them to your home? Will you get to know them? Because I promise you that person has something to offer you. And guess what that is? That is a piece of God. When we say no to that, we receive judgment, the absence of God. And so may we begin with the good news that Christ has brought us in 
and embraced us and has loved us no matter what we've done, no matter what we'll do, no matter what our story is, will we do the same? And right now, I'm going to invite the communion servers up, and they're going to say, as you receive the bread, will you take this bread, and and they'll say, this is Christ's body that was broken for you. Will you remember that? And then somebody will say, this is Christ's blood that was shed for you. Will you remember that this week? Because the amount of the way that we're generous, the amount of generosity we give is determined by how much we're grateful for. So this table, communion, it's for everybody. Everybody. Come and receive.